0: Hello, I'm Gabby and welcome to another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. Thank you for being here and dedicating some of your time to helping to better understand and improve your own mental health. My Possible Self is the mental health and wellness app that uses clinically certified content to help users improve their thoughts, feelings and behaviour. We're still completely free to download. You can enjoy all of our content without it costing you a penny. And today we are delving into the world of therapy. This comes from the therapy.org website. Therapy, also called psychotherapy or counselling, is the process of meeting with a therapist to resolve problematic behaviours, beliefs, feelings, relationship issues and or sensations in the body. Beginning therapy can be a big step towards being the healthiest version of yourself and living the best life possible, no matter what challenges you may be facing. Through therapy, you can change self-destructive behaviors and habits, resolve painful feelings, improve your relationships and more. However, if you haven't been before, the thought of getting therapy can be daunting, intimidating and rather scary. But if you can work through these feelings and access the right therapist for you, the results can be hugely rewarding and impactful in the most possible way author influencer mental health advocate and trainee psychotherapist joe love believes everybody could benefit from going to therapy and she's peeled back the curtain on what to expect in the therapist chair in her debut book therapy is magic it's a fantastic read from start to finish and i had loads to ask joe all about the world of therapy so let's proceed with the episode I have the book in my hand, Therapy is Magic, Debut, we can't say novel, I guess self-help book would be more accurate.
1: I think they call it, I think it comes under first-person narrative.
0: There you go. Because it's
1: not quite self-help, it's not quite memoir, it's sort of a bit of a weird hybrid, isn't it? Like toolkit slash memoir
0: yeah took it such memoir, an essential guide to the ups, downs and life-changing experiences of talking therapy. And you dive deep because at first when I when I got the book, I was like, okay, so it's all about therapy and it's like Joe's experience of therapy, but like how do you get a book out of that? And then when I read it, I was like, Oh, once you kind of get into it, it's just, um, it's an easy read and it's an enjoyable read and you have a wonderful way with words, which makes something that I think could, that's why I was a bit like, oh, it's probably going to be a smaller book. You, you know, you take us into that therapy session sort of with you, but not.
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. That's so lovely to hear because I could have made it just a toolkit and then arguably like it's kind of half a book. Yeah. Um, and or a smaller book, right? Mm. But I still think there's more to say on that. I did leave quite a bit of stuff out, um but I wanted to cover off like the basics of the, the kind of things you want to know and what you want to know from the client perspective, the client chair. It's not done from my now trainee psychotherapy hat. It's all done, as you know, from what it feels like to sit in that client chair. But I wanted to bring in then like my story as well and the background and and the the arc that I've had of. Of really distrusting therapy and really not having great experiences and just take the reader through that journey so that hopefully some of my experiences can help theirs um, either feel less alone with their experiences or sort of kind of hack so they don't make the same mistakes as me <laughs> or at least yeah, I yeah understand a little bit more about what can
0: happen. Well I'd say mission accomplished definitely and yeah just starting at the very beginning of your journey which is like I'd say for most people, I think you're really, really, really lucky if you meet the perfect therapist for you or, or on the get go. And actually, before we even getting to that point, there is still a lot of cynical people towards getting therapy and seeking professional help. I've come from six years living in the US where going to see your therapist is like having a hairdressing appointment, you know, it's no Don't biggie. They? There's no kind of. Stigma attached to it was my experience living in in Nashville, but but the UK we've still got a bit of a way to go, and so I think that like every possible um, misconception you have covered in this book, but like I've tried, <laughs> you know, people still have to be persuaded into it. I think if they're not open to it, and that takes a while, so yeah let's let's start with your journey why were you so hesitant to get therapy for so long
1: well it was the I think it's a lot what a lot of people feel um is that they've somehow failed or got something wrong there was this real I've messed my life up and that it was I was young when I first had therapy I was 18 and I really didn't want to and I really I'd not heard and luckily the language is hugely changing and the landscape of mental health awareness has changed massively since since I was 18. But I hadn't heard the words mental health in any other capacity as, other than in a derogatory sense. And I then seeing letters coming through, and I talk about this in the book with, um, I was like the Midlands and Solihull or something like that, mental health trust. And that just seeing those words in black and white on a piece of paper on a letter addressed to myself felt like condemnation it felt damning it felt very uncomfortable i mean uncomfortable is not even the right word i felt so ashamed so ashamed that i had got myself i'm doing bunny air quotes got myself into a situation where i this was happening to me and genuinely felt and I then went on to become a lawyer and I remember feeling and I was studying law at university at the time and I remember feeling that this was going to have huge implications to my employers to my chances to my life and it didn't have any Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, I didn't know that and I just felt so um yeah ashamed and full of shame and I mean, as you know, from reading the book, then my experiences were not brilliant. So it was very hard to then kind of keep diving back into it.
0: Yes. The first experience sounds quite harrowing. I mean, there's a there's a sort of twist of humour in there with, I suppose you can look back and smile. But yeah, a very unfortunate first start. And a little bit before that, did you feel pressured to go to therapy? I don't want to use the word forced, but it was like you were sort of made to go and you weren't ready to go.
1: Kind of. And I touch on this a few times in the book, because certainly when I first started out, it was... It, it was just presented to me so I had gone to the doctors and it was medication and therapy and that was what the answer was and I talk about how I basically stuffed the prescription into a bin because I was like that's for lunatics and I'm not taking medication even though I then later in life took medication and it certainly saved my life but at the time again my my internal stigma no no one was saying this to me I was so ashamed I wasn't telling you know I was hardly telling anybody about what was going on but my own internal stigma that obviously I'd got from the outside world um was that I couldn't possibly be taking medication so I'm going to stuff that in the bin but with in terms of then being in the system so to speak the um therapy track I couldn't wriggle myself out of it there was no bin to stuff that in so then I felt like I just was being pushed into this system Mm -hmm. and I had a psychiatrist and I had a therapist and I was in and I couldn't escape and I didn't feel also I was even though I had a psychiatrist who was sort of managing my case as it were um I was having supposed to be having CBT with the therapist (laughs) I don't think much CBT actually happened which cognitive behavioral therapy for anyone listening um, which is very practical and again I don't think that is something that looking back Was suitable for me at that point in time, and I don't think he was very suitable for me at that point in time either. He was suitable for anyone, (laughs) but I didn't know that. And especially being an eighteen-year-old female sitting with a male, an authority figure. Both my mental health professionals at that point in time were were males, and I remember feeling very deferential and feeling very trapped in the sense of, okay, they're the experts, and and there's always a little bit of that that goes on in therapy. sometimes we can feel that it's a very normal thing to feel I think now I think my relationship with my therapist feels quite equal um but we can feel like this being deferential and particularly when it's a male female dynamic especially when it's a young female with an older both of them were you know middle-aged men um yeah so it felt very uncomfortable and then later I talk about it um I through I was at law school much later when well, a few years later when my dad died and I had to attend a certain number of bereavement counselling sessions um, before they sort of allowed me back in I think it was a health and safety box or like a tick box somewhere they like you know we must make sure somebody die you know somebody's family member dies while they're in our in our care so to speak we we must seem to seemingly be doing something so I literally sat in silence pretty much for six sessions with this poor woman who was probably a very good therapist but I wanted none of it so I think there's something about when you have to be ready for it and I talk a lot about this um throughout the book but also to people who are thinking about therapy is and also when you know well how do you know when you're ready and obviously there's a little bit of having to try it and having to put yourself in that uncomfortable position. And therapy is inherently a little bit uncomfortable anyway, um, to know whether you can open up or not. And if we're not ready to open up, it it just doesn't work.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do want to pull back um, the layers further in terms of Mm. what happens when we go to therapy and seeking the right therapist. But before that, I thought it would be useful to get your response to some of the common myths that stop people from going to see a therapist. I'd I'd love to hear your response to, to some of these. I don't need to talk to someone. I have my friends and family to talk to.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? And it's something that a lot of people Say and feel, and I certainly have said that um, and felt that it's such a big one because it doesn't mean by going to a therapist, it doesn't mean that you don't have great friends and great supportive family. Um, It's just that friends and family cannot, however, flashes and moments of therapeutic experience you can have with them, they cannot completely replace or emulate what sitting in therapy with a therapist does and can do and there's like a number of reasons for that because like sitting with a friend like it they can be really great at giving advice or listening not that therapists actually give advice which is something that is another myth but they your therapist is totally on your team and your friend might be on your team but they also might not be um and also a therapist is purely confidential. They won't unless there's like, a, you know, you're going to harm yourself or others or you know, there's a few legal caveats. But your friend or family, you know, they you might feel like you can trust them. But also at the end of the day, they're not duty bound like a therapist is to it's almost like loyally um, or priest that you. Whatever you say within that room will essentially stay in that room. And you don't know that with friends. And they're unbiased and they're objective. Our friends and family have skin in the game. They will have opinions about your boyfriend or your parents, for example. So a therapist will be 100% attuned and it's looking at what you want. It's putting the client right front and center and working out what it is that's in there, what it is that's driving us and where we want to go with things, which friends and family might not be able to do in quite the same way and also I, I mean I honestly I could talk about this for a long time but I think one of the big things is we a friendship or a family situation is a reciprocal relationship so there is give and take you can't just fully sit there yeah what like once a week for 50 minutes and just <laughs> say whatever you want and then just walk away and it'd be fine there's always consequences I found when talking to yeah. friends and family There'll be follow up, there's not that space. And also you would then be expected to do that for them. Or within hmm. that conversation it flipped to their experiences. Oh, I've had that and
0: Yeah. And also though, sometimes you could love that person to bits, but you don't wanna hear it. Or you don't wanna especially if no, it's a regular thing. Things. You've got your mm. exactly, you've got your own stuff. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, you, there there's only so be... much you can do
1: yeah and there needs to be a space for that and I think you're totally right you're touching on stuff like I think we can all think of friends and family that it's the same issue again and again and again and no matter what we say or what we don't say it's the same thing whereas like this is a professional who can handle that hold that help with that potentially it's somewhere to take that stuff Mm. and safely have that stuff looked at and also I should say no judgment because I think it's sort of like how i started off talking about this but it's it's even more than you know having skin in the game it's therapists are trained to be non-judgmental. So there's so much that they have seen. I mean, almost you can. They're like the people that you can't surprise or shock, yeah. or have they have judgment on you. I don't think that people can say that about their friends and family. I, I just don't think so. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons, and I go into them all in the book. There's like hundreds of reasons why it's, it is very different to the thing with a friend.
0: Yes. Um, okay. So we spent quite a lot of time on that one. I'll do. I'll do some <laughs> of the quick ones. Uh, I don't have the time. I'm really busy. Uh, well,
1: I mean, this is just BS, isn't it? Yeah. Because we all have the same amount of time and it is about prioritizing. And I think also now the rise in people getting therapy because things have gone online, you really only need 50 minutes. Um, and you don't need to, a lot of times, if you're doing online therapy, you don't need to travel. There's no childcare. There's no anything. You just, that's it. That's your 50 minutes. And to say you can't find 50 minutes in your week or in your two weeks um is i think we are we're telling ourselves stories and i talk about that in the book of like well i've got plenty of time to scroll instagram but for some reason i can't go to a therapy session i think that's uh yeah
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i yeah. question yeah. the motivation behind things i'm too embarrassed or maybe ashamed to talk about the real stuff yeah. that's going on in my head
1: yeah i think the okay so the um uh, this the slightly connect different but connected but um, embarrassed yeah I I think as I said before there's very little that a therapist would be shocked by and it's a really safe space to they've heard it all they've seen it all and there's nothing that they would I don't think be shocked by um, and also that if even if they are they're trained not to not to show <laughs> and, it not to not to show <laughs> it and and to give the best response for you um, not for them. So I think that that's really important. But like also, um, like the being vulnerable, opening up, or like being too, you know, scared or nervous about it. Like it's really, really normal. Like the we've touched on it, but therapy is inherently vulnerable activity, and we're sort of taught. um, Hopefully, this is changing, but we are kind of taught. Not to put our like most vulnerable selves out there, like boys are told, so, you know, not to not to cry, and girls are like not to make a fuss, and then we all sort of layer up our defenses against the outside world, and then we're expected to go in and peel all those layers off in the therapy office and be like, "This is me and my most raw, vulnerable self," and that's a scary thing to do. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And I often say to people, "Is only you will know if you're ready to do that." But also, you don't have to do that in session one. Uh, you don't even need to do that in session two, three, five. It takes a lot of time to open up and trust. And some of this stuff has been really hidden and really protected. And that protection has served us probably served us very, very well until it doesn't serve us very well but the therapist is the right person to gently help you unpeel that and you gently trust because we take a while to trust and we just have to do it as a really slow process and that's okay totally okay and normal
0: I don't have a mental illness therefore I don't need therapy
1: Oh, I'm going to do this quickly, but I have a lot to say about this one. Therapy is so much more than about mental illness. It is about, for me, it's about my mental wellness. It's about self-improvement. It's about growth. People are doing it now like they're doing preventative Botox, like they're doing yoga, like they're going to the gym. It is part of just growth and wellness and self-improvement, self-esteem. And you don't need to be struggling with a mental health difficulty to benefit Massively from therapy.
0: I'm on antidepressants, so I don't need therapy too.
1: Oh my gosh, no! <laughs> um, I made the mistake of thinking this at some points in my life, um, because you can feel fine. I felt absolutely fine. I was like, "What's the point? I'm, I'm, I'm fixed. I'm fine. Everything's okay." And just very quickly, like my my story, and everyone will be different, but and but my story is that I lowered my dose with. Help my doctor and I very quickly realized that the medication although it was brilliant and saved certainly saved my life was just a sticking plaster on the issues and what I needed to do is go into therapy and dig into them and get into that painful wound and it was only in the digging and the and the, and the rooting around in it that then things started to heal so
0: mm. no unfortunately mm. no okay last one uh, I don't want someone to start preaching about how I should live my life yeah
1: uh, well they don't do that they don't they don't advise you very rarely well they give you direct advice what they're doing is sometimes they're giving you tools to help with things but most often they're just holding space listening to you and helping you work out what it is that you want to do with your life rather than dictating and sometimes it's so tempting I have so and I didn't know this about therapy and it took me a long time for the penny to drop that they weren't going to tell me what to do I just I used to desire I used to have these like fantasies of going in saying my problem her saying or him saying her saying you need to do x y and z me go off do x y and z and boom I'm fine but that is a 100% not how therapy works. And it took me a really long time to realise that. And I was quite resentful over, I kept thinking that she's got the answers and why is she not telling me them? <laughs> but she ha- she hasn't. I have the answers. And the whole point is like we together, but led by me, will find them over time.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but who knew? Okay, you've been touched on before you saying that you need to be ready for therapy, mm-hmm. that you can't sort of be forced into it. Uh, and, and actually, maybe we've sort of already touched on this as well in terms of like, if it's somebody that we love, that, yeah. um, you know, we know they need professional help, but they're digging their heels in. And so yeah. they're not just hurting themselves, they're hurting us, right? Because yeah. we're yeah. Yeah. being affected by their moods, by their behaviour. Yeah. But you say we, we can't force them to go. No.
1: As much as we'd like to, and there's like there's a meme that's around,
0: um
1: or a little saying that seems to be floating around the internet saying um, we're often in therapy talking about the people in our lives who would benefit most from therapy but aren't in therapy or something like that. <laughs> I think it's more succinct than that, right. but essentially yeah. we all sit in therapy and talk about certain like two, three people who are probably not in therapy and would benefit massively if they are, but um, or if they were. Uh, yeah, I think that this is like a really difficult one to manage because we can see we can often see that somebody might benefit from it but it is not until that they see it and they're ready yeah and maybe there's stuff we can do because I talk in the book about um how my mum my mum was the most anti she had an anti-therapy anti-mental like she had so much stigma mm. um and carried a lot of i think like that generation has a lot of um, incorrect messages about what therapy is and what it means similar to how i did it's probably where i got some of my thoughts about the fact that i'd failed and the implications and even the trust thing i remember talking to her and her saying oh no i couldn't possibly because they would tell somebody and then they're probably my age and then you know my next neighbor would know like, that's not how it's it, <laughs> just not how it works yeah she my mum did end up going to therapy I almost fell off my chair when she said to me I think I might need to see someone but for a very distinct issue for a right. short term but it really helped her it was it was amazing and she had been so anti it when I had it so I I, th- I think and looking back I'm sort of like um trying to deconstruct it like how did she go from this person so full of like fear and massive opinions about what it meant to then going and finding it really useful and helpful without me forcing it and I think it was the sort of slow I'm real advocate of like the slow trickle and the normalization Mm. which is basically what the book is of therapy so I would instead of saying i think you need to have therapy because i think however nicely that is put and with however much love and care that can come across like a very barbed and and very difficult to hear yes um, yeah
0: i had an experience with that actually with a family member when then I, when i was accused of being judgmental yes and i was exactly like, um no you know, i was just trying to help but you know yeah
1: and you do put yourself in that position that if you are going to say something along those lines, that you will most likely probably be attacked if the person hasn't thought about it for themselves already. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about, it being, it. yeah, it's something about it being possibly a series of conversations that are very gently and very carefully Thought about and couched in love and care, but also just this kind of constant for me. It was this constant normalization. So if she was talking about something like an issue, say, oh, my therapist said. And even if my therapist didn't, I'd be like, my therapist says when this happens. Da, 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 da. And or can you look after Bella, who's my little girl, while I have therapy? Or what did you do today? If we're having a conversation, well, I did this. I popped to Sainsbury's, and then instead of saying like I went to an appointment or just leaving it out, like, and then I went to therapy, and then. Did, and almost not allowing her to have like, it not being this great big
0: looming room. thing.
1: Mm. But yeah, just inserting it in constantly, normalising and sort of breaking her down way. But then when she was really struggling with something mm. and I made a few noises of like, I can't really be the person to keep helping you with this. Because it was like we were saying a, a very circular conversation constantly about the same thing. And also, I'm quite, especially in families, it, I was quite close to some of the issues, so that helped me just say, mm, "Do you think that there might be?" I'm not in a, my wildest dreams that I think she was going to say that she'd like to go to therapy. Maybe like someone you could talk to. Um, and then, yeah, a few weeks later, she like right, sort of sidled up to me and. Wow, good and said, for your mom. Oh, well, actually, first of all, she asked to see my therapist, and I was like, "Oh, hell no." <laughs> I mean, there'd be too much of a conflict of interest. But I was like, no, that's not how it works. You can't see mine.
0: Good advice. <laughs> yeah, but good, but good for her because certainly with the generation before us, there's an ego thing, there's a pride thing, isn't there? That it's seen as a sort of sign of weakness. And and actually, even, you know, with with people now, it's it's especially men. There's that sort of bruised ego, um, and that you know they're less of a person, less of a man, whatever that still comes into play.
1: Totally, and men and the suicide rates and just that not wanting to talk. Although anecdotally, I've heard that the amount of um, males that therapists are seeing is increasing which is really good. Mm. Um well, that's very sure there's a bit of a, a bit of a shortage of therapists out there at the moment because mm-hmm. there's quite a
0: demand. You didn't grieve for your dad which I'm so very sorry um that that you lost him. I think was this around 18 years old was this this is kind a little of little
1: bit older it was just before older. I went to law school but uh, a okay. uh, very early
0: 20s yeah. So you you bottled it up for all of that time and it was in therapy when the cork was finally it, it popped. Mm-hmm when the floodgates are opened what what was the benefits there after holding on to it for 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 all that time because i imagine that like the the pain that you had to go through first would have been horrendous mm. to then you know come out of it the other end which is why i think people do again another reason for not seeking therapy is because we don't want to open pandora's box
1: yeah Absolutely. It's a really good point. Yeah, no, I didn't grieve. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But it wasn't until about a decade later that it was in therapy. And the thing is about feelings and that it's a bit of psychoeducation, but we push them down, bottle them up, tuck them away to deal with later or, you know, put in our little Pandora's box and like that's popped away. And we think that it's done, nice and neatly done. (laughs) But what actually happens is it's not, no, they're not necessarily in our conscious thought, but they stagnate and they don't stay in their little box. We might think they are because our conscious thoughts are not thinking about them, but they seep out and it poisons. And this sort of almost like I see it like a little, little box of poison, but like the cardboard box, it all starts to like seep into us and emotions don't stay and feelings don't stay nicely locked up and they have to get out and they have and they stay in our body for example like with trauma it's been very 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 well documented that trauma stays inside of our body and we have to get it out and getting it out can come in lots of different ways and there's amazing therapies like emdr which is uses your eyes and you know it, and and that is old trauma leaving your body and leaving your brain and leaving where that memories is how those memories are stored i'd say that it you can feel like the easy option and sometimes it is it's not a conscious thought this is what we're just doing you go through something it's light as upper lip that we were talking about and just keep calm carry on off we go got to get on with things the thing is if we don't take a moment to get it out even you see even animals do this so that if they're um in a fight or flight or freeze like they're about to you know they're about to be eaten by something and they they, they run or you know they're in a sort of life and death situation you'll see them then shake afterwards and like that shaking is them getting the like stress and trauma out of their body I um, didn't know which, that I didn't know that so my friend who's a uh psychotherapist was telling me a story about her other psychotherapist friend who was in a car crash and she with her children and it was an okay car crash but it was like pretty spectacular and like the car rolled and stuff but everyone was okay mm-hmm. and she got the children out of the car and she made them shake Like get that get it even though everyone was okay but get it out and I was like wow oh my god amazing anyway so my point is about emotions and feelings and it it needs to come out and therapy is one of the best places but no it was very difficult then to get it out but I had had because it'd been about a decade and I realized that I had cried more for like call the midwife than I had for my dad dying and I knew that it wasn't right and I knew it was affecting other things and I knew that it was something that I wanted desperately to deal with but I just did not know especially after all that time how to deal with it and I remember sitting in therapy and to my therapist I'm being like how do I do this I don't know how to I don't know how to grieve and then she did and I explained in the book this the empty chair exercise and and i genuinely thought that i couldn't grieve that i i had be, it had been too long and and i thought also there was something wrong with me i was like why haven't i like grieved what an awful horrible person I am and the more I've talked about this more people have like there is no timeline on grief and so many people do bottle it up and just carry on because after the funeral you're all supposed to be fine and there's not you're in too much he died very suddenly so it was too much shock in those two weeks before the funeral to me even think about it and then you like you know, life happens and carries on but yeah and then I was so surprised how quickly how quickly the it, all those feelings were there and came up and came out in like a tsunami almost of, of emotions which then felt you say it was painful but it was painful but it it wasn't my therapist said this so many times through this and also my emdr process of like this is all old stuff leaving your body this is not new you're not experiencing new pain this is was there and for some reason that's so unbelievably comforting
0: yeah and it's
1: that feeling of you know when you have a good old cry yeah and you feel crying is not very nice no one likes crying and whatever's led you to crying you can feel so much better afterwards like you just Mm. feel that's what it's like
0: Mm. but on a bigger scale wow Mm. you stress and i agree that it's better to see a therapist when the cracks start to show and i've heard a lot of therapists say this themselves as well don't kind of reach out when it's the avalanche you kind of know when you're sort of teetering or or when you should be getting help so do you wish you'd have gotten help sooner because you've also got to be ready for it so there's that kind of dance isn't there of like being ready pushing things away
1: no I totally agree I I kind of wish that I had been ready earlier I know that there's nothing I could have done really to be more ready, other than when I was ready, and therapy just kept kind of. I talk about it, it as like holding its hand out, trying every time, trying to say, Look, I'm here, I'm here. Um, and it wasn't really until I was ready and I found the right therapist mm-hmm. um, that things clicked and it worked. And it became then part of sort of my mental health toolkit that I have now all the time. It's a really hard thing to do. I, there's a statistic out there, and I can't remember exactly how long it is, but I think something like seven years people wait from kind of when getting mental health support, like before they get it. And it's a horrendously long time. Um and so when we are reaching out, often we're doing that when we are really in need. And whether you're going in this country, if whether you're going through private routes or the NHS, the NHS long waiting list. So once you've reached out you're almost at the point of really needing it you've then got a massive weight and also in this country now privately therapists um, are post-pandemic so 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 swamped and anecdotally a lot of my peers who are qualified and even I know my own therapist has a three to four month waiting list Um, and that's privately which is really shocking there just aren't enough Professionals out there.
0: Good professionals. <laughs>
1: good. Yes. Yeah, yes. If they're good. So, having one before, if you're going for your wellness, your self improvement, and life is not linear. So, I have to be in therapy at the moment because I'm training to be a therapist, but obviously, I go for my wellness as well. um But I had a bit of a life crisis before Christmas, and I was so pleased that at that point in time, I wasn't having to find an not just find but also establish a relationship and trust and all of that stuff with somebody at the point when I really really needed it I've got a friend at the moment who is really really desperately needing some support and is really struggling to find someone even privately so it's one of those things that is you know it's all very well and good in hindsight saying oh I should have I should have got support it is really good to do before you
0: quote-unquote, need it. I loved when um, you talk about finding the one. And I guess we can say a name because you mention it in the book, Eleanor. Yes. Yeah. It made me think about, you know, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs till you meet your prince. That that kind of, you know, cute phrase or whatever. How many therapists did you go through before you found Eleanor?
1: How many before her? Uh, Well, it's a lot of years. So, yeah, quite quite a few but in that sort of like year before period in that in that period before I found Eleanor yeah I'd seen two other therapists and the way that I went around about looking for her was slightly different and I was a bit more thinking about myself and what I wanted and the type of therapist I might benefit from even though I still hadn't had that experience of finding Mm. the one yet that did mm. change everything mm. I do remember being a bit like oh no I don't want it like those the one especially one of the ones that I just had I was like oh, no 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 who was very analyst in their approach so very um uh the blank slate that we often hear of or like you know greet me at the door and like wouldn't say anything at all pretty much until the end of the session
0: all right. at all
1: and then be like right I'll see you next, I'll see you next week
0: yeah. show me
1: out and like not even say goodbye so I was like oh no 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 and some people really
0: benefit from that but not me so what was it about Eleanor that was so fantastic and um, like was it an instant click was it like when you sat down you were like oh yep she's my person
1: I don't know that I did that because I didn't know that there was such a thing as my person at that point in time I just thought I was there to do therapy and this was at the point when um I'd realized that my medication wasn't as magic as I thought it was so it was at that point in time where I was like okay I know I need to get into some stuff so I was sort of more ready to do the digging and to do that archaeological dig I don't think I had this aha moment for a good couple of months it was sort of like a a slow creep of like oh my god I'm not dreading this oh my god I'm even though it's uncomfortable I'm kind of enjoying this oh my god I'm feeling a bit better um to the point where it was like that's because of her also some of what was going on for me but it really was I just felt comfortable she was so honest from the off as well like I remember the first session she was the first therapist who'd said to me in all those years like over a decade at least definitely that said you it, we might not get on and that's okay and if you don't want to carry on you don't need to carry on and also I didn't feel like she, I didn't feel obliged to be there I didn't feel forced to be there I didn't feel like she was trying to sell anything to me and she also said also within the confines of our relationship there might be weeks where you really don't like me and there might be things that I say that you really don't like and that's okay and that was like oh my god okay (laughs) I think it took me a little while and I realized that I was coming out of therapy just feeling lighter it just worked and I was like oh and that's when I became quite evangelical about therapy because I know I've been doing it wrong but maybe I had, but I I hadn't had that experience. I was like, wow, this is how therapy is supposed to feel. This is what's supposed to happen. And I started talking about it on my social media platforms. And I realized that obviously there are people who did know this way before me. I wasn't the first to discover it. Um, but a lot of people didn't. Like I really thought, and at that point in time I was going for. quite a severe mental illness I was was still severely had postnatal depression and I genuinely thought that's what I was supposed to go in and talk about each week like my postnatal depression like because that's why I was in therapy my mental illness and what I realized is no I could go in and talk about my mother-in-law if I wanted to the entire session or world politics if I wanted to or my husband leaving his socks on the floor also like I was oh and it was at that moment that I was... It was more that the the feelings of, like, this is the one kind of coincided with the feelings of, like, oh, my gosh, therapy is this thing that I misunderstood.
0: So you're almost like... Are you sort of creating the the narrative of the session? Because you would assume that that's the job of the therapist. to You know, they ask the, the open-ended questions
1: yeah but they don't do that though do they sometimes they circle back to things and they'll say you know hang on I, you know i not even hang on they won't say it like that they'll say you know I just wanted to pick up on something that you said last week or, or kind of trying to slow you down and say can we just go back to when you were talking about x y or z just then or where are you feeling you know talking about some big feelings here maybe we we'll concentrate on one part of this but really they are led by you so like we were talking about with the client-led humanistic approach it's if it's important enough to want to talk about even if it's tiny and feels insignificant and stupid yeah to you it's not to them they take it equally seriously as me talking about you know childhood trauma or Mm -hmm. my post depression, and also it all fits in together and it's all part of I often see it's like a it's a bit of a tree and there's roots going on underneath and there's branches coming out. And you might be talking this, about this one tiny leaf, but that one tiny leaf is attached to a trig, which, twig, which attached to a branch, which yeah. is attached to the trunk, which has roots in your history. And it's all connected somehow. And what a therapist does is sees all that and connects all that to you. So sometimes I'll be sat there in therapy, I'll be talking about something. And my therapist will say, can your dad just step out of the room for a minute, please? Oh, wow. Yeah. Or like, who does that remind you of? And I'm like, oh my God, it's my mom or it's my dad. Or yeah. 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 So you're like, oh, and I hadn't seen it at all. So that's what I mean about the, yeah, "Yeah, everything's kind of, everything's kind
0: of. I've tried a a few different therapists in my time. um, And the one that I clicked with and I thought was amazing. She was in America when I was over there. Mm. And, my takeaway was that I just I was like dreading it because I hadn't been to see one in forever and I was like oh I don't want to drudge up this or that or whatever and oh mm. the shame and all of this and then she just made me feel so normal like the mm. conversation I was like and then afterwards I did feel a bit lighter but I just was like wow I don't feel like different from anybody else like she just like yeah. talked to me like I don't know whatever like conversations we were having, even if it was heavy stuff, it was just yeah. like something that felt so normal, like I was talking to her about you know yeah. what I've watched on t v the other night,
1: yeah, totally, and they take it all they they just take it all with the same like this is why there's no topic too big, no topic too small, and also that whole normal thing is like I think that they are uniquely placed to know what is quote unquote normal um and and also, and I can't say the amount of times that my therapist has said, "You don't know how." Like, there are so many people who sit in exactly that chair who struggle with exactly this or similar. And I'm like, oh. and some people might find that really patronising, but I think it's the way that it's it's the message, the way that it's said. Um, it feels so reassuring. It's like, oh my God, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who struggles with female friendships, for example, or. Another one that I really like that they do is, um, I don't know if you've had this, but the, the, the sort of validation of like, you're carrying a lot. Like that is a lot. Because often I think that I should be able to cope with the things in my life. And as I'm explaining, she's like, there is a lot on your plate. That is a lot. That, it, that feels heavy. And I'm like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And yeah. just those sort of few magic words quite transformative and it's not really that they're fixing anything they're just empathy and understanding
0: and you can go to to see a therapist in the short term as well as in the long term as well and i think that's something else people might be frightened especially if they've got to watch their finances they don't want to get sort of um I must say, trapped, but, you know, caught into a financial obligation that they maybe Mm -hmm. can't continue week after week after week, but you can get some great benefits in a few sessions, right?
1: Yeah, totally. I'm a huge advocate for long-term therapy, but that is a massive privilege and it needs to be acknowledged. But that doesn't mean to say, like you said, that you can't get Enormous ben- benefit in short term therapy, and particularly if you're going for a certain issue, sometimes that is the best thing to do. Um, and also, I talk about this in the book like, you can spread things out. Or, I've got one friend who kind of goes for like mental health checkups, like, every sort of like four to six months, she'll have a session, and then if she needs more, she'll sort of top up, <laughs> and if she needs less, then she will sort of like then rotate around. I mean, that and that is the benefit of having. A, a flexible therapist, but be having a therapist that you already have that relationship with that you can kind of dip in and dip out. A lot of people I know have two weekly therapies, uh, as in not twice a week. I know some people do that as well, but once every fortnight. Um, so to spread it out a little bit. But yeah, short term therapy can be absolutely fantastic, especially if you are doing something like CBT or you're doing something or EMDR or you're doing something very um, targeted. It can be, I mean, it's that, that's how it works. So, yeah, I hugely recommend that. And just to go and talk, the benefits of having that as opposed to not having that is enormous and will make a difference.
0: And something that um, Josh Fletcher, who did a podcast with me on anxiety um, last year, something that he said always stuck with me when it in regards to um, finding the finances to have a therapist. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if you think about what you spend 40, 50 quid on, you know, you might before the pandemic sure you know it might that's easy gone on a night out or a couple of takeaways in the weekend. so there are ways that you can find that money I don't I know that's not the case for everybody some people just yeah. haven't got that extra bit of cash and it's seen like you said yeah. as a privilege but there is also a huge number of people that might be financially a little bit tight they have to budget but they could move their money a little bit to invest in themselves and they probably don't even think about the fact they have a couple of takeaways or what whatever the you know kind of treat mm. is is it because therapy is something that we don't we don't physically get, you know, it's not like buying a pair of jeans. We can't hold yeah. it in our hands. Is it because we might yeah. have had bad experiences in the past or is it because we've had no experiences and we just kind of think it's the fear of the unknown?
1: I, I think it's all of those things. I think it's prioritized, you know, once you've had the experience of great therapy, I think it is much easier to then prioritize it yeah. um, and know that it's value, even though it can't, that value can't be measured in a you know in something tangible but you everybody who's had therapy and got benefit from therapy will be able to speak to how not only that impacted themselves positively but people around them and their relationships and their work and it just has this sort of knock-on positive effect that is just so wonderful um and in terms of like particularly people who might be freelance you taking time off work is so it's such a tricky thing to be able to, to well, it's tr- such a tricky thing to do. And if you're taking days off for being physically ill um, is one thing, but if you have days where you, you're mentally unwell, if you can do anything, i.e. therapy um, and all the other wonderful things that you can do for your mental health to prevent that, then surely that's sort of worth the investment as well because that is maybe something that you can measure of okay last year I had to take x many mental health days and this year because I have a therapist or I have somewhere to go with my stuff it's very hard to do but I think there's a lot of reasons that people might feel that they can't I mean obviously other than just being unable to have to to pay that money the best budgeting and the in the and, and the best you know the the most will in the world, the amount of money that it is is actually achievable for quite a lot of people, but it's about prioritising it. um But I did a um, survey on my stories on Instagram, and I know that that's just anecdotal. But I said, you know, what is what are one of what are the barriers for you? um Because there's a lot of barriers for people getting therapy, and cost came up as one of the biggest. And then I also. Sort of dug into that a bit and I said well how of those people who said the cost what would be round about the mark that you could afford and I and then I asked uh, you've read the books so you know but like I then I asked a um therapy platform who have lists uh, like a directory platform who lists a lot of therapists to say what their average therapy session was and actually the difference between the two the delta between the two wasn't enormously it wasn't enormously massive so I think sometimes people think that therapy is more expensive than it is and it will be different in different parts of the country it will be different with different therapists and types of therapy but I think that sometimes you think oh because we're told oh therapy is a privilege therapy is expensive but actually when you look at what people said they could afford and what their the average cost of a therapy session is it's like okay they're not too
0: dissimilar really what about um real quick like finding a good therapist i think intuition and going with your gut is huge here but also doing your research but um for anybody that's like starting out on this and we want to try and avoid them getting some somebody that's not that great any suggestions on like you mentioned there's a platform like what what are we looking for to ensure we get somebody that can help us
1: yeah so i this is privately Um, but I would say even within um, the NHS if you don't click with the therapist that you are given you are totally able to swap um, because they appreciate the importance of the therapist and you won't go yeah exactly a lot of people and you won't I've been reassured you won't go back to the bottom of the waiting list but you might just have to wait until another therapist becomes available within wherever you're receiving therapy Um, Mm. but that's not as long as waiting you know however long you were before you were seen yeah because the importance of the relationship is really um and Mm -hmm. is part part of what makes therapy work exactly um but if we're talking about privately i mean most people start with google and i would just say that you know look for um the big therapy platforms so there's like for example there's the counseling directory or there's a few that are under um the professional bodies, the therapists have to pay to be listed for the professional bodies. And some people say there is a school of thought of that's just <laughs> a money-making exercise. And there are some great therapists that might not be listed for political reasons with certain professional bodies. They can't, and they also can't be with all of them because it's a, that would be a lot of money. Um, but for counsellors, the BACP and the, for psychotherapists, the UKCP, If they are listed with them, that is a pretty good sign. And I would say for most people starting out first time, make sure that they're in one of those two that they they are affiliated with, because it's a good sign. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean everything, but it is is a good sign. So listed with a professional body, Um, because anybody can call themselves a therapist. It's not a protected term, counsellor or therapist or psychotherapist, unfortunately so look at that and then i would just say yeah do your research it's really hard to know what type of therapy you might want to have before you've experienced any of it but that's why in the book i kind of give some a little snippet on each of the main there are thousands of therapies out there um but the ones that we've been talking about today so there's cbt so we've been talking about that. that's very good for a specific issue that you just want some tools to deal with there is humanistic or client-centered which is sort of my personal preference and what I'm training in which is and you might see psychodynamic in that as well um which is putting the client uh front and center or analyst is what I talked about so psychoanalyst often gets confused with psychodynamic they're very different but psychoanalyst is the more Freudian uh, you know blank slate type what we think of when we think of therapy but actually is slightly rarer and there's a statistic that I put in my book about like what actually makes therapy work and there's some percentages and like the you factor like you're ready and you're willing to get vulnerable and trust is like the biggest one I think that's 40 percent 30 percent is the relationship and the the you know how that dynamic as two humans together in the room that will make therapy work and then the next one down is like technique or something it's more about you and the therapist and giving it a go rather than necessarily what they're trained in but yeah just looking at the bios and looking at looking at what they might be saying about themselves but call them you know just have five minutes on the phone setting up a session uh or how they respond to you in email you can get so much actually from those small interactions that you have are they always really late responding to things or are they ignoring you or are you feeling and then yeah there's a oh, whole chapter that's... in the first session
0: yeah that's that's really useful actually that we could you know ask to have a quick chat perhaps before
1: yeah eleanor the the, the one uh yeah she had a um we had like a five minute conversation just to sort of try and set up when we would see each other yeah and yeah it was probably like a five ten minute chat but that already meant well a it meant I felt much more it, yeah broke the ice it made, meant, made me feel so much more relaxed going to see her because we'd already had an initial conversation but also I could, you can get quite a lot from how somebody is on the
0: phone um, yeah I wish I'd have known known that actually I had an experience recently where I just and it, it, this was again more preventative than letting things escalate or there wasn't even particularly cracks but I thought I'm going to do this to look after myself I suppose the first warning sign I ignored was that it was like pay me in money now straight away and the appointment was for over a week later and then during the appointment I felt like she kept trying to rewrite my story and it was like she just completely didn't get me it was almost actually like she was trying to potentially find something to unravel and she was just going completely off it was it was not good and and afterwards mm. after the session finished it was like that was it it was like Nye. yeah yeah be- actually the best thing that she recommended was CBT for dummies she told me to get that book <laughs> yeah suffice to say I didn't she She's she said we'll have another follow-up in a couple of weeks. Um, this was like coming up to like around Christmas time. And then I thought about it and I was like, it's there. it was fifty pounds that you know, I didn't I didn't get any any good takeaways from it. And then I sort of like let it sit for a bit longer. I was like, I'm gonna think about it a bit more. And then the the sort of final nail in the coffin was that she, her policy is you have to pay seven days in advance of your appointment. And I wondered. Am I going to get reminded or prompted because it was very much on the first one? It was like, you need to pay this seven days ahead kind of thing. And I wondered, you know, with the follow up, because I'd already paid for one. So she sort of knew I was good for it, if you will. But it was like 9 a.m. the day it was seven days before it was a text from her saying, hey, just to make sure, you know, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So there wasn't even, like, that grace period of 24 hours or whatever. And I was like, oh, she doesn't give a rat's ass about me. This is like she wants the 50 quid. So then I messaged her and said, um, I actually took the coward's way out. I said, you know what, it's Christmas, and I'm sort of pinching the pounds a little bit, and it's not a good time, and said the easy things to say rather than yeah. actually I don't think this is working. But then I didn't want to be mean either, you know. She seemed like a nice lady. She just... Wasn't
1: great for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I can I can relate to all of that. And um but but you listen to you know, you have have to try. And I know um there are certain therapists who do free first session. I've actually never had that, but I have heard that people do. Um but it sounds like your one probably would not even want to have a phone call
0: yeah. beforehand.
1: Yeah, even probably. if it was ten minutes. And and it will be up to each therapist. Um you can ask, but um, it sounds like she probably wouldn't have even
0: wanted you to do that. Yeah, I did do some research and, and you know, and she had good reviews as well. So I was like, oh, well, I guess it was, a, maybe it's a chemistry thing or, or whatever. Yeah. But um... but
1: you're listening to your gut. If you're, if you're walking away feeling like I didn't get anything and also that she wasn't, to feel understood. I think that first session feeling understood is like the one of the biggest things um you won't have got into everything um but feeling misunderstood or like they've gone off in a totally different tangent is yeah it's not badly not for you that one
0: yeah so if you have gone to see a therapist what are the some of the the things to look out for when you're like it's not working and you should you know call it a
1: day i mean there's there's so many there are so many um but i think that you've just highlighted that feeling heard feeling understood is crucial um we've touched on this before but also feeling like that maybe at some point not necessarily today not necessarily in like three sessions time but at some point you might be able to open up and trust them enough to get vulnerable um and often we can kind of tell that it's not scientific but it's just on this human level of like no I'm not going to be able to do this with this person um, or I'm not ready right now
0: to wrap things up and bring it full circle you yourself are switching chairs I mean what better an endorsement for going to try therapy well you've written a book on it but now you're actually training <laughs> to be a therapist yourself so I know my completely therapist is like you've
1: You've written a book on the career that you haven't yet had, like this is crazy. <laughs> and it was kind of part of the writing process that I realized how it wasn't just that there were a number of things I went into it. But I realized how invested in therapy I am, and how much it is a huge part of my life. And it would just be, it is the natural next step to train so the book was pretty much written written we were in the editing and proof stages when I started my training um so it is purely client chair um and then right at the end I say by the way (laughs) I'm now stopping chairs and it was really lovely thing to be able to share at the end of the book
0: I genuinely enjoyed reading it really
1: really pleased that you enjoyed it
0: I did and I enjoyed our chat as well so good thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure thank you thank you
1: have a lovely day Bye. bye
0: I absolutely love that full circle moment. Joe loved training to become a psychotherapist after years being in the therapist's chair. I really hope you got a lot from that conversation all about therapy. And that pretty much wraps another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. Quick heads up, we do have some awesome new content coming onto the app soon. Um, We're including a bunch of nutritious recipes that are designed to not only nourish your body, but also your mind too. So if you've got the app, then keep an eye out over the coming week or two. And if you haven't got the app, then like I mentioned at the start of this podcast, My Possible Self is still free to download. So head to your app store, type My Possible Self, and we will appear. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at My Possible Self on Twitter and Instagram. And I've been at Radio Gabby. Until the next one, thanks for listening and take care.